Let's stand together. If you are visiting with us today, we are glad you're here, and we are in a series, summer series, called Seven. We are talking about the seven vices and the seven virtues, and today we are talking about anger. Unfinished business. And I think that will become a little bit more clear. Now, usually we've got one or two verses that we read. But today we're looking at Judges chapter 14, verses 1 to 20. And it's part of the story of a very famous individual by the name of Samson. And the real issue is verse 19, which you're going to read in a couple of minutes. But we've got to read all 20 verses sort of to get the feel for the whole story and get the feel for Samson. So I'm going to read the blue and you're going to read the black, and this is what it says. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines, and he came up, and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now listen to these words. Now get me, or sorry, now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your, our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samuel said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. And then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. And after some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out with his hands and went on eating it as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate it. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of a lion. You're doing well. And he came and he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? Thank you. 
And she wept before in the seven days that they, their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would, have, you would not have found out my riddle. Very well. Very well. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you first loved us. And you have extravagantly, generously exhibited your love for us in, through, and as Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit that takes everything that you have accomplished in Jesus and makes it applicable to our lives. And so we pray today now as we look to your word that you would challenge us, that you would stir us, that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to comprehend, and Lord, as we leave here and go to our different parts of this city and the area, that you would give us the grace to tangibly, physically live out your truth as Christ followers. This we ask in your name. Amen. Why don't you be seated? So we're talking about anger. Let me tell you a story. It's a true story. A nurse at a hospital emergency room, got a call from the dispatcher informing her that five seriously injured people were on their way in. The situation, already intense, was complicated because one of the people coming in, one of the injured, was actually the nurse's husband. The other four were a family that she didn't knew, and despite the doctors and the nurses' attempts to do their best, all five died as a result. Who killed them? Was it a collapsed building? Was it a bus crash? Was it a drive-by shooting? Was it a fire? Was it a tornado, an earthquake, or a hurricane? No. Anger killed them. One car had been trying to pass another on a rural road. But each driver refused to yield to the other. And side by side, they raced ahead, jockeying for position, fueled by anger. Until it was too late before they saw the vehicle coming toward them. The nurse's husband was one of the angry drivers. And the two men... Passing or trying to pass each other's were complete strangers. They had no reason to be angry at each other, but they were in a rage simply because one wanted to pass the other. We have seen a lot of exhibitions of road rage and air rage. Friday, July 21, 2017, cyclists left bloodied after road rage beating on Peterborough Street. August 6, 2017, cops looking for a man who allegedly smashed a car mirror with a bat. 
He got out of his car on the QEW to do it. July 9th, 2017, Delta Airlines flight from Seattle to Beijing turned back after a passenger assaulted a flight crew member. Thursday, August the 3rd, 2017, an Air Canada flight from Toronto to Budapest returns to Pearson after a flight attendant was allegedly assaulted, assaulted on board. Now, most of us know that we shouldn't fly or drive WDWA. You know what it stands for? Driving while angry. DWA. So I want to do three things this morning. I want to talk about anger, then I want to sort of bring that around to Samson's story and how anger fits into his story. And then I want to make some sort of concluding remarks and some confrontation um, or uh, confrontation around the issue of anger. Now, three things to keep in mind. First of all is this, that anger in and of itself is not morally wrong. Anger is a natural emotion. And in its natural state, it should only take between a few seconds to a few minutes for that anger to actually be externalized and things go back to normal. So anger is a natural and a normal human emotion of feeling that you and I experience regularly. Matter of fact, the Bible even tells us that this is the case because it tells us to be angry and sin not. And then it says, do not let the sun go down while you are angry. Now, did you know that there are studies that actually prove and say and state that angry patients live longer? Did you know that? That angry patients live longer. Now, the question is, we're not sure whether it's because they actually externalize their feelings and get the poison out, or it's because of their anger that they demand better care. We don't know. But what we do know is this, that anger is good. Anger creates or helps us to create action that helps us control our world around us. Anger actually enables us to establish appropriate behaviors and boundaries in our lives. And as long as it's not inappropriate... As long as it doesn't become abusive or it doesn't become violent, anger can be helpful and it can be a very healthy response to certain situations and to certain people. But anger becomes problematic when either we do one of two things, either we express our anger inappropriately and we blow up, or... We suppress it so that it accumulates. Now, if we don't deal with our little bit of anger, it just gets bigger and bigger until it has to go someplace. And of course, you and I know that usually that someplace is usually the wrong place. Now, the other problem with anger is this, is that even when people who have hurt us, when they apologize 
and they take responsibility for what they've done to us or said to us. And even when we know that their apology is in fact sincere, it's not enough. And we continue to be angry, it becomes what is referred to as an abnormal anger. Now this is how it works, okay? Anger is one of the body's warning systems. On the one hand, anger is helpful because it tells us and warns us that we are hurt or being hurt or that our needs may not be heard or may not be met. But on the other hand, it can be like guilt, a signal that something is out of line with our belief system. And the point is that anger does not have to be something that is horrible, that either escapes from its cage or consumes our lives. Anger is just a feeling. Now turn to your spouse or to your significant other or a family member. Matter of fact, forget all that. Turn to somebody next to you and say this. You ready? Anger is just a feeling. And turn back to them and say, and it is a natural feeling. Can't forget that. Very important. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever been angry? Hold on. There's, boy, not only are you quiet, you're not very truthful this morning. What is wrong with you people today? How many of you have ever been angry? I'm looking for hands not raised, actually. Of course, of course. We all experience anger. It's normal. It's natural. But what I want you to know that anger is just a feeling. It's an emotion. And like all of our feelings, it's a form of communication. When we are angry, anger is trying to tell us something. It's bringing us a message. And the problem is that many of us, we don't hear the message that anger brings to us. When most of us are asked this question, what are you feeling? We usually respond with something like this, I think, and, and then we add whatever it is that we think. And the problem is, is that we're answering an emotional question intellectually. You weren't asked, what do you think? You were asked, what are you feeling? Not what you were thinking. It's an emotional question. Now, before we move on, a couple things we need to establish. Some of us were raised in homes where anger was just considered to be wrong. That's not helpful. Others of us have been raised in homes where the slightest problem escalates into rage. And if we have grown up in either one of those homes, we have no good role models 
of how anger is supposed to be expressed. And so instead of understanding what we are to do with our anger, we question it. We wonder if it's valid. We misplace it. And we do just about everything we can with anger except feel it. There's a new uh, movie out um, about this life story of Emily Dickinson, the poet in the 19th century. And um, I was watching it, and uh, one of Emily's friends, uh, Vryling uh, uh, says, Buffam says to uh, Emily as they're walking in the garden, she says this. She says, always look below the surface, Emily, but don't be afraid of what you find there. You see, a lot of us won't look underneath the surfaces of our lives because we're afraid. And what we need to understand is that we need to look beneath the surface and we don't need to be afraid of what we find there. We just need to process it. See, anger tells us that we have to deal with our hurt. And hurt is just present pain. But anger is often lingering pain. Did you hear that? The message that anger brings to us is simply that we are in pain or we are hurting. And anger is present pain, sorry, hurt is present pain, but anger is often lingering pain. And as we gather all of these hurts, this injury, this offense, this insult, and as we sort of accumulate all of these hurts together, we don't address them. And the anger grows. Matter of fact, over time, some of us accumulate so much anger and so many hurts that it's difficult to sort them out. And eventually, we don't recognize the hurt. We get so to feeling... Sorry, we get so used to the feeling that we start thinking it's who we are. We begin to see ourselves as bad people. We begin to see ourselves as, sorry, we begin to see anger as a part of our identity. And we no longer experience the feeling. We become angry people. And what we have to do is we have to learn to release the anger and remember who we are. Now put your seatbelt on for a moment and hear this. What we need to do is do two things. Number one, we need to learn to release our anger appropriately. We'll talk about that in a moment. And we need to remember who we are. We are good people. And most of us, many of us, if not all of us, are trying to do the best that we can. We're not bad people. We're good people. But sometimes, if we don't deal with our anger, we can begin to think 
that we are bad people, that anger is a part of our identity, that somehow we become these angry individuals. And when we do not release and express our anger, we turn our anger inward. And when we turn our anger inward, one of two things happen. Matter of fact, two things happen. The first thing that happens is it can transform into guilt. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in a Pentecostal home, and I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I've had enough guilt for two lifetimes. Right? How many agree? You don't need more guilt. But if the anger turns inward and we don't release it, it can turn into guilt. And worse, it can turn into depression. I want to give you a, a, an equation that I've given you before, and it's in your notes. It's this. Injury or insult plus rejection plus anger plus self-pity equals depression. Now, I'm not talking about um, depression that is um, psychosomatic, or sorry, that is um, physiological, that is a part of the fabric of our brains. I'm talking about environmental. That's what I'm talking about. In Life Lessons, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kressler said this, Anger held internally changes our impressions of the past and distorts our view of current reality. All this old anger becomes unfinished business, not merely with others, but with ourselves. Let me read it again. Anger held internally, not dealt with, changes our impressions of the past and distorts our view of current reality. All this old anger becomes unfinished business, not merely with others, but with ourselves. Unfinished business. Now, you're probably thinking, well, who knows, but you're probably thinking, now, what does all of this have to do with Samson? Right? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because it has everything to do with Samson. Let me give an example. So Samson's story in the Bible is unique. Now, how many of you have been a Christian longer than, say, three years? Raise your hand. How many of you grew up in Sunday school or went to Sunday school at some point or kids' programs at some point in your life? Raise your hand. Okay, now how many think you know the story of Samson? Raise your hand. It's not a trick question, okay? We know the story of Samson. Now, have you ever stopped to ponder Samson's story? How it fits in the context of biblical history and in the biblical story. I read it, and it sort of sounds like it's odd to me. 
It's kind of weird to me. So what's Samson's story? Well, first of all, we know that Samson is one of the most famous people in the Bible. And we know, of course, that his marriage to Delilah and their story is one of the most infamous stories, not just in the Bible, but in history. Non-Christian people, people who don't know anything about the Bible, they know who Samson is or have some idea, and they know who Delilah is. Okay, now, the Bible takes four chapters to tell Samson's story, four chapters. And Samson makes a great Sunday school story. Samson, to me, is like Hercules, the biblical version of Hercules. And I imagine Samson as a young Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. Or a Dwayne Johnson, who, by the way, People Magazine, I think this past week, Concluded that he was the sexiest man alive. Obviously, they haven't met some of us. <laughs> but that's who I imagine him to be. Samson is the guy who kills a lion with his bare hands. Samson is the guy who kills a thousand Philistine soldiers with the jawbone of a donkey. Samson is the guy who, who single-handedly traps 300 foxes, ties their tails together in pairs, and puts a lit torch in their tails and sets them free to destroy the grain yards or the grain fields of his enemies. To catch 300 foxes single. Is that even humanly possible? I don't know, but I do know this. That that story is the first historical reference to taillights. <laughs> and Samson is the guy who brings the house down. We'll talk about that in a moment. But have you ever noticed that a lot of things and a lot of people die when Samson is around? Samson is supposed to be the hero judge of Israel. And Samson is one of the most complicated individuals in himself and in the historical biblical story. It seems that Samuel is a guy that is overly emotive and who is often very angry. So here's what we have. We have a guy who is angry with superhuman strength. What could go wrong? Well, lots. So why is Samuel, oh sorry, if I say Samuel, I mean Samson. Why is Samson always so emotive? Why is he always so emotional? And why is he always so angry? What's the story? Well, we know this, that Samson is unusual in his birth. We'll talk about that in just a second. 
and in his life and in his death, but his story is one of tragedy and failure. Now, the tragedy and the failure lies at a deeper level and at a more serious level. It's not just who Samson was that is the issue, but what he was meant to be and he could have been and would have been that casts a shadow over his entire story. Samson was magnificently endowed by God to be one of the greatest judges for Israel in their time of need, and he never quite ever fulfills his potential. He could have been instrumental, an instrumental deliverer, but he never lives up to his potential. Now, John Claypool, commentator, says, that the answer to why not, why he didn't, is found in his family background. Now, Judges chapter 13 tells of Samson's beginning. First thing we know is that he is from a very devout home, very devout Jewish home. His mother is a, is a serious God follower. And matter of fact, she is so devout that not only does she... Now, the, um, she is told by the man who comes to visit her that tells her that she's going to be pregnant and have a son, that this son is supposed to take on the Nazarite vow, which means you're not supposed to drink, you're not supposed to cut your hair, and a whole other number of aesthetic things. But she is so devout that she herself takes on the Nazarite vow. By the way, that's why in the text, when he gives his father, father and mother the honey from the lion... And he doesn't tell them that it's from the lion because they, as devout God followers, were not allowed to touch anything that came from a dead carcass. And so we begin to see some cracks in, even in um, Samson's own belief system. Now, here's an interesting, peculiar thing in the scriptures, in the text. Did you ever notice that Samuel's mother remains nameless? She's nameless. So what happens is a man comes to visit Samson's mother. And the man, who is actually the angel of the Lord, or what we would say now is an Old Testament manifestation of Jesus in the flesh. So the angel of the Lord comes and says to Samson's mother, Hey, listen, next time this year you're going to be pregnant and make sure that when this boy grows up that he is a part, that the Nazarite vow is invoked in his life and he's not allowed to touch any alcohol and do not let a razor cut touch his hair. Let his hair grow long. Now, Samson's mother goes home to her husband, by the way, who is named Manoah, and says, hey, Manoah, this guy showed up today and told me that I'm going to be pregnant. And so Manoah prays, and he asks God to let this man come again and visit them so he can talk to them. And the prayer is granted, and this angel of the Lord shows up, and Manoah is there, and Manoah, they don't realize that it's an angel of the Lord, and what happens is he prepares a goat and some grain for the man, but the man doesn't accept it, and so Manoah offers it on a rock as a sacrifice to God, and as soon as he does, that flame comes out of the rock, consumes the goat, and consumes the grain, and the angel of the Lord disappears, and then something very peculiar takes place. After it's all over, after it's all over, 
Manoah panics in the text. And he says to his wife, we're going to die because we have seen God. And Samson's mother says to him, Manoah. You see, I can hear Ruth saying that, Todd. Don't go there, leave it alone. Samson's mother says to him, Manoah, think about it. If God wanted us dead, we'd be dead already. And he certainly wouldn't have accepted our sacrifice. Smart woman, dumb man. Now John Claypool says this, and this is important. John Claypool says that Manoah felt more deeply than he thought. Manoah, Samson's father, felt more deeply than he thought. And this becomes Samson's issue. In other words, like his father before him, Samson was highly emotive, but he didn't think things through. He didn't use his brain. And Claypool says this, it's not enough just to be zealous or passionately committed. The need for careful thought is just as great as the need for emotional intensity. And the condition in Samson's background may furnish a clue as to why he developed, and and I wrote in, or underdeveloped, as he did in childhood. In, sorry, in adulthood. Samson was a man controlled by his feelings, whether they were positive or negative. Remember I highlighted in the text that he saw this Philistine woman and he went down to his mother and said, she seems right in my eyes, get her for me. Just pure emotion. And Samson, more often than not, was either reacting to or repeating his emotions. Samuel never, sorry, Samson never seems to get beyond the level of acting out what he was feeling at any given moment. And like his father, Samson felt more deeply than he thought. Samson, in other words, failed to come to terms with himself. Socrates said, called it the unexamined life. The full quote is, the unexamined life is not worth living. And Samson never thought things out. He often seemed to be emotionally reactionary. And because of it, somebody who started out with such great promise and potential ended his life in a fury of destruction. Look how his life ends. It ends prematurely. The Philistines finally get a hold of Samson because Delilah found out the source of his strength and they cut his hair and drained him of his power. And so they put out his eyes and they made him do the work of an animal by getting to walk in circles all day long, grinding grain as they mocked him. 
And that went on for a long time until a festival came. And in this Philistine festival, they thought that they would have a bit of a party and they would get Samson to come up and they would use him as a spectacle for entertainment. And Samson finds himself between the two pillars, the main pillars that are the support pillars for the temple. And Samson prays this prayer. God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistine for for my two eyes. Now, I want you to get this. Here is an angry man who is controlled by his emotions, and his final request is one of anger, hostility, and revenge. And the Bible tells us that Samson grabs the two pillars, and he pulls them down and pulls the house down on himself, ending his own life, and all of the people that were in the temple. And we read this sad commentary. So those that he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Now I want you to contrast that with the final prayer of Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Someone who started out with such promise, with such potential, with such endowment, ended his life in a fury of destruction. So what do we do about that? I'm going to fast forward, and there are four kinds of anger, they tell us, and I've sort of put them in under S, a sanctified anger, and sudden anger, and self-centered anger, and stubborn anger. And all of those, by the way, are exhibited, demonstrated in Samson, in his life, in the four four chapters. You'll find them there. And I don't have time to deal with that at this moment. But I want to move on and talk about four ways that we can handle our anger. Our anger. The first one is this. We can repress it. Repression, I am told, is a form of denial. It basically says, if I deny that I am angry, then I won't have to deal with it. If I just ignore it, it'll go away. If I just work really hard at pretending that it isn't there, then it won't be. And anger is not an emotion that can be dealt with properly by simply forgetting it. The second thing that we can do is we can suppress it. We can anesthetize our feelings. So much so that we learn not to feel. We think we do this by, first of all, by doing that, we think that we can neutralize our feelings. But what we're really doing is we're silently nurturing it within and allowing it to simmer. It's called the cooker, principle, the cooker pressure principle. I don't know if anybody uses these anymore, but when I was growing up, we had a pressure, my mother had a pressure cooker. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you have a pressure cooker? Yes? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yes? 
Excellent. So a pressure cooker, for those of you who know, is a pot that you put all kinds of food in and you seal it tight and there are some valves on the side that when the food starts to cook or starts to boil, whatever it does, it's in the pot, the steam is let off automatically by these valves that are set in the, I think, in the lid of the pot. If those valves don't work, there's going to be a problem, Houston. Uh, Bill Morrow and I, uh, Ruth and I, were visiting at their house one Christmas, and Bill bought his wife an espresso maker. And, you know, you put the espresso in, and then you put it in that little cup with the handle, and you put it on tight, right? Well, of course, being guys, we didn't read the instructions. So we got the coffee in, and we got the thing on tight, and the coffee came out. But the problem was, is that we couldn't get the handle to let go. Now, I may not be Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I got some pipes. And that was 25 years ago, and I was doing okay then. And I said to Bill, I can break that seal. I tell you, I took that in my hand, and I reefed on that puppy, and it let go. And folks, when it did, they had this beautiful new home, beautiful white cabinets, Beautiful white ceiling and walls. Do you know what coffee looks like on that? Well, when I let it go, the thing exploded. There was coffee all over the kitchen. That's what happens when we think we can suppress our anger. And instead of not dealing with it, it just sits there and it simmers and it simmers. And all of a sudden, something happens and the trigger goes off and it just explodes and it gets on everything. The third thing we can do is caress it. And there are some people, and maybe even some people in this room or watching online, you just love to be mad. You just hold on to that grudge. I don't care if I'm a Christian. I am not forgiving them. I am going to hate them, and I'm going to nurse, and I'm going to caress this grudge until Jesus comes. And what we don't realize is this, that we are holding on to a rotting corpse. Or we can express it. There are healthy ways to deal with anger, and there are unhealthy ways to deal with anger. And the healthy way to deal with our anger is to express it. And the three things we need to keep in mind is this. When we're expressing our anger, remember the results of unbridled anger. Ask yourself, the last time you blew, your, your, you blew it, you blew up and exploded. Ask yourself this question, do I want to live with that fallout again? So remember the results of, your, of unbridled anger. Two, reflect before you respond. Reflect, think, think, think. Think. And then restrain our remarks. Express it, but follow those three R's. Does that make sense? 
So how many of you in the room have been angry? I'm looking. I'm giving the altar call in a minute. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do an altar call for this one, trust me. Now, don't raise your hands on this. How many of us have unexpressed anger? How many of us have unexpressed anger? Stand with me, would you please? Father, thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. I love what one of our prayer team members prayed before service. Lord, we are broken, we are fallen, but you love us. And we're glad you do. And there is nothing that we can do or nothing that we and say that can change your love for us. And Lord, you know us, and while we're broken and while we're sinful, we're doing the best we can. And we are good people. But Lord, you know that when it comes to anger, even those of us that are the meekest and the mildest, when we get behind the wheel of a vehicle and the wrong thing happens at the right time, we can change. But Father, I pray that you would help us, you would remind us. Lord, that anger is a natural, healthy feeling. It's a form of communication that we're hurt or our needs aren't listened to, or we haven't been met. But at the same time, I pray especially for those in this room, for those of us who have unexpressed anger. And it is destroying them. Father, I pray today that by your Holy Spirit, that you will take the written word and the living word and the spoken word and by your spirit use it to challenge us to transform us and lord to make us more like jesus and in his name we ask these mercies and everyone said